Section number 14 of Canada, the Empire of the North. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Canada, the Empire of the North by Agnes C. Lott from 1672 to 1688 part two new france had not forgotten the iroquois treachery to the french colony at onondaga iroquois raid and ambuscade kept the hostility of these sleepless foes fresh in french memory when jean talon came to canada as intendant there had come as governor Courcelle, with the marquis de tracy as major general of all the french forces in america the West Indies as well as Canada. The Carrigan Regiment of soldiers seasoned in European campaigns had been sent to protect the colonists from Indian raid, and it was determined to strike the Iroquois Confederacy a blow that would forever put the fear of the French in their hearts. Richelieu River was still the trail of the Mohawk warrior and de Tracy sent his soldiers to build forts on this stream at Sorel and Chambly, named after officers of the regiment. January 1666, Courcelle, the governor, set out on snowshoes to invade the Iroquois country with 500 men, half Canadian bushrovers, half regular soldiers. By some mistake, the snow-covered trail to the Mohawks was missed, the wrong road followed, and the French governor found himself among the Dutch at Chenectady. March rains had set in. Through the leafless forests, in driving sleet and rain retreated the French. Sixty had perished from exposure and disease before Courcelle led his men back to the Richelieu. The Mohawk warriors showed their contempt for this kind of white man warfare by raiding some French hunters on Lake Champlain and killing a young nephew of de Tracy. Nevertheless, on second thought, twenty-four Indian deputies proceeded to Quebec with the surviving captives to sue for peace. De Tracy was ready for them. Solemnly the peace pipe had been puffed, and solemnly the peace powwow held. The Mohawk chief was received in pompous state at the governor's table heated with wine and mistaking french courtesy for fear the warrior grew boastful at the wife chief's table this is the hand he exclaimed proudly stretching out his right arm this is the hand that split the head of your young man on ontio then by the power of heaven thundered the marquis de tracy springing to his feet ablaze with indignation it is the hand that shall never split another head forthwith the body of the great mohawk chief dangled a scarecrow to the fowls of the air and the other terrified deputies tore breathlessly back for the iroquois land with such a story as one may guess with thirteen hundred men and three hundred boats the marquis de tracy and Courcelle set out from the St. Lawrence in October for the Iroquois cantons. Charles Le Moy, the Montreal bushrover, 
led six hundred wildwood followers in their buckskin coats and beaded moccasins with hair flying to the wind like indians and one hundred huron braves were also in line with the canadians the rest of the forces were of the cardigan regiment dollier de casson the sulpinian priest powerful of frame as de tracy himself marched as champlain never had such an expedition been seen before on the st lawrence drums beat reveille at peep of dawn fifes outshrilled the roar of rapids and stately figures in gold braid and plumed hats glided over waters of the richelieu among the painted forests of the frost-tinted maples indians have a way of conveying news that modern trappers designate as the moccasin telegram moccasin telegram now carried news of the coming army to the iroquois villages and the alarm ran like wildfire from mohawk to onondaga and from onondaga to seneca while the french army struck up the mohawk river and to beat of drum charged in full fury out of the rain-dripping forest across the stubble fields to attack the first palisaded village they found it desolate deserted silent as the dead through winter stores crammed the abandoned houses and wildest confusion showed that the warriors had fled in panic so it was with the next village and the next the iroquois had stampeded in blind flight and the only show of opposition was a wild whoop here and there from ambush de tracy took possession of the land for france planted a cross and ordered the villages set on fire for a time at least peace was assured with the iroquois who first discovered the province of ontario before champlain had ascended the ottawa or the jesuits established their missions south of lake huron young men sent out as wood rovers had canoed up the ottawa and gone westward to the land of the sweet water seas was it vigneau the romancer or nicolette the courier de bois or the boy etienne brule who first saw what had been called the garden of canada the rolling meadows and wooded hills that lie wedged in between the upper and lower of the great lakes tradition says it was brule but however that may be little was known of what is now ontario except in the region of the old jesuit missions around georgian bay it was not even known that michigan and huron were two lakes the sulpinians of montreal had a mission at the bay of quinte on lake ontario and the south shore of the lake where it touched on iroquois territory was known to the jesuits but from quinte bay to detroit a distance equal to that from new york to chicago or london to italy was an unknown world but to return to the explorations where jean talon the intendant had set in motion where dollier de casson the soldier who becomes sulpinian priest returned from the campaign against the iroquois he had been sent as a missionary to the nipsing country there he heard among the indians of a shorter route to the great river of the west the mississippi than by the ottawa and the salt st marie 
Indians told him if he would ascend the St. Lawrence to Lake Ontario and Lake Erie, he could portage overland to the beautiful river, Ohio, which would carry him down to the Mississippi. The Sulpinians had been encouraged by Talon in order to eclipse and hold in check the Jesuits. They were eager to send their missionaries to the new realm of this great river and hurried Dollier de Casson down to Quebec to obtain Intendant Talon's permission. There, curiously enough, Dollier de Casson met Cavalier de La Salle, the shy young seigneur of La Chan, intent on almost the same aim, to explore the great river. Where the Sulpinians had granted him his seigneury above Montreal, he had built a fort, which soon won the nickname of La Chienne, China, because its young master was continually entertaining Iroquois Indians within the walls to question them of the great river which might lead to China. Governor Cressel and Intendant Talon ordered the priest and young seigneur to set out together on their explorations. The Sulpinians were to bear all expenses, buying back La Salle's lands to enable him to outfit canoes with the money. Father Galinet, who understood map-making, accompanied Dollier de Casson, and the expedition of seven birch canoes, with three white men each, and two dugouts with Seneca Indians, who had been visiting La Salle, set out from Montreal on July 6, 1669. Not a leader in the party was over thirty-five years of age. Dollier de Casson, the big priest, was only thirty-three, and La Salle barely twenty-six. Cornmeal was carried as food. For the rest, they were to depend on chance shots. With numerous portages, keeping to the south shore of the St. Lawrence, because that was best known to the Seneca guides, the canoes passed up Lake St. Louis and Lake St. Francis and glided through the Sylvian fairyland of the Thousand Islands coming out in August on Lake Ontario, which, says Galinet, appeared to us like a great sea. Striking south, they appealed to the Seneca Iroquois for guides to the Ohio, but the Senecas were so intent on torturing some prisoners recently captured that they paid no heed to the appeal. A month was wasted, and the white men proceeded with Indian slaves for guides still along the south shore of the lake. At the mouth of the Niagara River they could hear the far roar of the famous falls, which Indian legend said fell over rocks twice the height of the highest pine tree. The turbulent torrent of the river could not be breasted, so they did not see the falls, but rounded up Lake Ontario to the region now near the city of Hamilton. Here they had prepared to portage overland to some stream that would bring them down to Lake Erie, when, to their amazement, they learned from a passing Indian camp that two Frenchmen were on their way down this very lake from searching copper mines on Lake Superior. The two Frenchmen were Louis Jolet, yet in his early twenties to become famous as an explorer of the Mississippi and one Monsieur Jean Paré, soldier of fortune, 
who was to set France and England by the ears on Hudson Bay. September 24th, as La Salle and Dollier were dragging their canoes through the autumn-colored sumacs of the swamp, there plunged from among the russet undergrowth the two wanderers from the north, Jolet and Perre. Dumb with amazement to meet a score of men toiling through this talentless wilderness, the two parties fell on each other's necks with delight and camped together. Jolet told a story that set missionary zeal on fire and inflamed La Salle with mad eagerness to pass on to the goal of his discoveries. Joliet and Perry had not found the copper mine for Talon on Lake Superior, but they had learnt two important secrets from the Indians. First, if Iroquois blocked the way up the Ottawa, there was clear, easy water way down to Quebec by Lake Huron and Lake St. Clair, and Lake Erie, Joliet's guide had brought them down this way, first of white men to traverse the Great Lakes, only leaving them as they reached Lake Erie and advising them to portage across up Grand River to avoid Niagara Falls. Second, the Indians told him the Ohio could be reached by way of Lake Erie. Sitting round the campfires near what is now Port Stanley, La Salle secretly resolved to go on down to Quebec with Joliet and rearrange his plans independent of the missionaries. The portaging through swamps had affected La Salle's health, and he probably judged he could make quicker time unaccompanied by missionaries. As for Galinay and Dollier, when they knelt in prayer that night, they fervently besought heaven to let them carry the gospel of truth to those benighted heathen west of Lake Michigan, of whom Joliet told. Dollier de Casson sent a letter by Joliet to Montreal, begging the Sulpinians to establish a mission near what is now Toronto. Early next morning an altar was laid on the prop paddles of the canoes and solemn service held. La Salle and his four canoes went back to Montreal with Joliet and Perry. Dollier and Galigny coasted along the shores of Lake Erie westward. It was October. The forests were leafless, the weather damp, the lake too stormy for the frail canoes. As game was plentiful, the priests decided to winter on a creek near Port Dover. Here log houses were knocked up, and the servants dispersed moose hunting for winter supplies. Then followed the most beautiful season of the year in the peninsula of Ontario, Indian summer, dreamy warm days after the first cold, filling the forest with shimmer of golden light, the hills with heat haze, while the air was odorous with smells of nuts and dried leaves and grapes hanging thick from wild vines. It was, writes Galinay, simply an earthly paradise, the most beautiful region that ever I have seen in my life, with open woods and meadows and rivers and game in plenty. In this earthly paradise the priests passed the winter, holding services three times a week, a winter that ought to be worth ten years of any other kind of life, Dollier calculated, counting up masses and vespers and matins. Sometimes when the snow lay deep and the weird voices of the wind hallooed with 
bugle sound through the lonely forest the priests listening inside fancied that they heard the hunting of arthur unearthly huntsmen coursing the air after unearthly game march twenty third sunday sixteen seventy the company paraded down to lake erie from their sheltered quarters and erecting a cross took possession of this land for france then they launched their boats to ascend the other sweet water seas the preceding autumn the priests had lost some of their baggage and now in camp near port pele a sweeping wave carried off the packs in, in which were all the holy vessels and equipments for the mission chapel they decided to go back to montreal by way of salt st marie and ascended to lake st clair game had been scarce for some days the weather tempestuous and now the priests thought they had found the cause on one of the rocks of lake st clair was a stone to which the indians offered sacrifices for safe passage on the lakes to the priests the rude drawing of a face seemed graven images of paganism signs of satan who had baffled their hunting and caused loss of their packs i consecrated one of my axes to break this god of stone and having yoked our canoes abreast we carried the largest pieces to the middle of the river and cast them in god immediately rewarded us for we killed a deer following the east shore of lake huron the priests came on may twenty fifth to salt st marie where the jesuits dabon and marquette had a mission three days later they embarked by way of the ottawa for montreal where they arrived on june eighteenth sixteen seventy meanwhile what had become of joliet and perret and la salle they have no sooner reached quebec with their report than talon orders st luson to go north and take possession at salt st marie of all the unknown lands for france joliet accompanies st luson nicholas perrault a famous bush rover goes along to summon the indians and the ceremony takes place on june fourteenth sixteen seventy one in the presence of the jesuits at the salt by which the king of france is pronounced lord paramount of all these regions when joliet comes down again to quebec he founds count frontenac has come as governor and jean talon the intendant is sailing for france before leaving talon has recommended joliet as a fit man to explore the great river of the west with him is commissioned jacques marquette the jesuit who has labored among the indians west of lake superior the two men set out in birch canoes with smoked meat for provisions from michilmicamac mission may seventeenth sixteen seventy three for green bay lake michigan ascending fox river on june seventeenth they induce the mascoutin indians who had years ago conducted radisson by this same route to pilot them across the portage to the headwaters of the wisconsin river their way lies directly across that wooded lake region which has in our generation become the resort first of the lumbermen then of the tourist 
a rolling wooded region of rare sylvan beauty park-like forests interspersed with sky-colored lakes six weeks from the time they had left the salt wisconsin river carried their canoe out on the swift eddies of a mighty river flowing south the mississippi for the first time the boat of a canadian voyageur glided down its waters each night as the explorers landed to sleep under the stars the tilted canoe inverted with end on a log as roof in case of rain marquette fell to knees and invoked the virgin's aid on the expedition and each morning as joliet launched the boat out on the waters through the early mist he headed closely along shore on the watch for sign or footprint of indian end of section 14 recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver bc